Hello, and welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. My name is David Naff. I'm the Associate Director of Merck and the host of this podcast. I am joined today by members of our research and study team from the Merck Equitable Access and Support for Advanced Coursework Study to talk about a new dashboard that we have available on our website depicting participation in gifted classes in elementary school, middle school algebra one, and advanced placement or AP classes in high school in the Merck region for the five years prior to COVID-19. We will talk about how to use the dashboard, our key takeaways from the findings, and how it resonates with policy and practice in our region. Let me introduce everyone to you now. We have Dr. Beverly Flood Flanagan. She has been an educator for the past 28 years teaching pre-algebra, history, and gifted education. Her doctoral degree is in educational leadership. She has taught in rural, suburban, and urban schools and currently focuses on promoting equity within the identification of gifted students and talent development in Petersburg City Public Schools as a gifted and accelerated instructor. She believes that all students have talents and gifts, and that her goal is to find ways to develop them and increase the academic performance of all students. Uh, Dr. Flood Flanagan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Uh, we have Andrea Herndon. Uh, Andrea is the coordinator for gifted education and advanced studies for Hanover County Public Schools. Before this role, Andrea served as a middle school assistant principal and taught at the middle and elementary levels. She has over 20 years of experience working in public education. She earned her BS in political science and MS in curriculum and instruction from Radford University and her EDS from the University of Virginia. Andrea, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And then finally, we have Chris Parthamos. Chris is a doctoral student at Virginia Commonwealth University, concentrating in educational research, assessment, and evaluation. He also works at VCU as a senior access specialist at the Student Accessibility Office, where he works to support students with disabilities through the provision of, a, of accommodations and other services. His research foci includes sense of belonging for college students, disability services, and university transition. Um, and I should also mention that Chris is the lead author of this dashboard. So the resource that we're gonna be talking about today, uh, Chris is really the mastermind behind it. So Chris, thank you so much for your work on the dashboard and for joining us today. I'm really excited to be here, David, thank you. Uh, and Chris, we're going to start off with you. Could you please provide some background on this dashboard? So what data did we use? What does it depict? And how do we hope that it will be used? Yeah, um, so the the data that was used for the dashboard as as kind of throughout the um, equity access to advanced placement study with Merck was was all through the Virginia Longitudinal Data System um, kind of represent several years of pre-COVID data on a, a wide variety of, of uh, kind of pieces of information about students enrolled within that, that region and the different school divisions um, from the academic years 2014 to 15 to 2018 to 19. Um, and so specifically with the dashboard, um, the, you know, there's also a report that's a little bit more analytical and, and kind of looking at it um, in a more traditionally academic context. But the purpose of the dashboard was really to um, make that, that analysis that we had done with that intention as transparent as possible for practice. Um, and so uh, the, the intention was that the visuals uh, would be really clear and there would be as many levers for interaction as possible um, for practitioners in the school divisions to be able to pull that up and, and really visualize the trends in the data and then um, use their own knowledge because they, they are much more present with the information that we're displaying than we are uh, to really 
take that information and knowledge that they have um, and identify trends that um, we might not necessarily know to look for. Right. So the whole idea of us doing these dashboards is for people to be able to interact with the data and learn learn from it and uh, use it to guide their decision making in a way that maybe goes beyond what we would do in a traditional research report, which we're also producing for this study, like you shared, Chris. And you mentioned that this is data from the Virginia Longitudinal Data System that we've requested um, through that that great system of that has like uh, integrated data from different providers like Virginia Department of Education, uh, the uh, Council for Higher Education for Virginia and various others. Chris, could you just share a little bit about what was the work that was involved in getting all of that data cleaned and structured in a way that we could actually have a dashboard for this? Because I know that your team went through a tremendous amount of effort to get this in the place where it is today. Yeah, yeah. So um, we do get the data fairly raw, and it's a really, really large data set. Um, and a lot of the the individual items of data that are in there are things that weren't relevant to our analysis. So part of the data cleaning was just kind of selecting the criteria that we were going to use for this analysis. Um, you know, making the determination that we were interested in uh, gifted and talented enrollment in elementary school, algebra one and above in middle school, um, AP coursework specifically in high school, um, and then, you know, identifying uh, different demographic characteristics and other student characteristics, uh, which we anticipated based on a review of the literature might uh, be influential in, in the different enrollment categories. Um, and then, you know, different uh, different demographic kind of characteristics or different um, variables had different things that needed to be done in order to clean them. And, um, you know, certain things needed to be condensed just because there are relatively small numbers of students that would fall into, as an example, like a specific disability category. So rather than looking at individual disability categories, we we're looking at uh, students with disabilities more broadly. Um, and in some cases, we uh, just had to be kind of uh, responsive to the the way that the data was framed within VLDS. Um, you know, as an example, like the the way that the gender is displayed in VLDS is is just a strict male female self report. So uh, just kind of making sure that we were um, marking the data in a way that was. Um, able to go into the descriptive analysis. So for things that were um, not ready for that, we did have to kind of realign a syntax in SPSS. That's the, the software tool that we use for this analysis uh, in order to uh, create the outputs that went into the tables that became the division dashboard. Right. And I saw uh, Dr. Flood Flanagan nodding her head when you said SPSS. So <laughs> we have some some folks who are familiar with the, these data uh, systems. And the the goal of this dashboard is really to help people who are interacting with these students and making decisions that are in support of expanding access to these advanced courses uh, for them to be able to, to use them to inform their work and to help to support more of these students. Um, and Beverly, could you just talk a little bit more about what is your work in Petersburg for expanding access to gifted programs specifically in elementary school? And then how does this dashboard resonate with your work? Well, when I came to Petersburg, I saw that there was a lack of students in the gifted program at the elementary level. So what I did, I used universal testing with approval with the superintendent. We did universal testing in kindergarten, first and second grade. 
And what we found was uh, because of uh, COVID, no one was being tested. So when we did test, we found over, I believe, 169 elementary students that uh, qualified uh, using local norms and not the national norms. So now that we have all of these kids, we said, okay, what are the what are the attributes? What are they good at? And we divided them based on how they were doing in math and uh, language arts. But we found that looking at the data that you you guys provided, um, elementary, say for example, fifth grade, we wanted fifth grade to see what kind of advancement or advanced classes they were taking. And we found that there were none. There's no honors class for the fifth graders. So by looking at your data and seeing that more work needs to be in that area, we can now focus more of our uh, gifted and talented kids to get that strength up and that rigor so that they will qualify for some of the programs. And we can bring some programs into the elementary schools that will challenge them and bring and improve academic success. Um, my work is... <laughs> That's what I can say. Um, I work with uh, accelerated instruction, the governor's school, and I find that there's a gap uh, in what I do with gifted. Um, we want in gifted to have an advanced fifth grade class, advanced math and advanced language arts, but we don't we don't have the criteria yet. So by looking at your area and your dashboard, we can see where we need to hone in. Our twice exceptional, we managed to get some of those uh, students into the gifted program this year. Uh, but looking at the data, it, it needs to be an increase across the area for Petersburg, especially in those um, AP classes and the honors classes that could be transferred back into uh, fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth grade. Middle school students, they only have honors classes, no AP classes to challenge them. So these kids are some of, many of them are sitting in classes bored to death because they're not being challenged the way they are. So my goal is by looking at your data and working with the superintendent, how can we find ways to increase the rigor so that by eighth grade, all of these kids, eighth graders would be in a higher academic class, such as math, algebra one. So our goal now is to get most of the eighth graders in algebra one. Right. And we've had a chance to do some background research related to access to gifted programs and the disparities that are showing up in the dashboard are pretty consistent with the disparities that we see nationwide. And one of the strategies that the research shows for expanding access to gifted programs is universal screening, like you were talking about, uh, Beverly. Could you just share a little bit more about what was the rationale for using universal screening and how much did you see an increase in students who are identified as gifted after you started that process? Well, like I said before, we I started out with 66 elementary um, and I did my research. I went into par school just to see if this was a cruel joke on me, the whole division with only 66 gifted kids. So when I did that, um, I realized that I 
I saw an increase, but not much. So when I did universal testing and I tested all of them, the kindergartners, the first and the second graders, uh, kindergartners uh, itself produced 100 gifted kids alone, just, just kindergartners. So this year they are our first graders. So, um, and it did, you know, fairly well in second and third. We used the Naglieri testing and we used the COGAT as the two tests uh, that we used. Co uh, Naglieri was very good because it brought out a lot of kids who did have deficiencies in other areas, but something was there for general intellectual abilities. So we used, I used the um, looking at the grades and looking at the median score based on their peers here, local norms. I went two deviations up because the normal uh, median was uh, staying on four. And I said, oh, but I can work with anyone that shows some kind of potential. So I went two deviations up and talent development is what we're doing now. We are getting these kids focused and in specific areas, bringing up um, and like nurturing what they already know and expanding upon that, increasing their critical thinking, increasing problem solving skills, product solving, learning. And that's what we're doing right now. And we see that um, grades are looking up, uh, they're happy and they're very confident in their responses to us now. So we've seen an overall confidence uh, based on what we're doing. Uh, we only have them an hour a week. Hopefully we can get them for more once they see that this is actually working for kids to make sure that um, gifted and talented activities, not just us pulling them out, but also pushing in. We are also having the gifted teachers go into classrooms and assist the teachers with, um, give, with differentiating instruction. We don't provide anything that the teacher is doing. We provide activities related to their objectives. Right. It sounds like you're really trying to establish a culture of, of talent development in the division. Um, and you've already mentioned the pipeline effect of this, of gifted programs in elementary school, how it's related to what kind of outcomes we see in middle school and then eventually in high school. And Andrea, what I think is really interesting about your position is you have that kind of K-12 perspective, right? Like you're working with gifted programs all the way through high school. Could you please share about your work in Hanover related to providing access to gifted programs in advanced coursework? kind of K-12, like that whole that whole pipeline that you're focused on in your division? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of my favorite parts of my job is that I interact with the students of Hanover County from kindergarten to the time that they're seniors. Um, I also work with a really amazing group of educators in elementary, middle, and high school who, um, similar to... Um, what Dr. Flood Flanagan is talking about is really looking at how do we broaden pathways to gifted education and advanced coursework. Um, and it is not something that one can do by themselves. I think that um, I'm impressed with the kind of that climate that, um, that they're building in Petersburg because it's really our goal um, to have more people at the gifted table and gifted conversation. We've been working collaboratively with our colleagues in special education and ESOL, just to have a more comprehensive 
profile of learners during the gifted process and working with classroom teachers and school administrators to really broaden the understanding of the varied ways giftedness manifests in students. Um, one of the things I'm most proud of for our students in Hanover County is that our high school students generally will be an AP student, an IB student, and a dual enrollment student. Um, you can participate in all three of those programs concurrently, and we have very limited um, barriers to those programs. So I think like Beverly saying, much of my work is focused on just providing that structure of support. Once we have the kids and we know who they are and working with the dashboard um, to better understanding where we need to kind of hone in um, helps us broaden access to more learners. Right, and could you talk about the middle school algebra one piece as well? So what research makes this pretty clear about algebra one specifically as a gateway course to high school advanced coursework. What in your division, what makes focusing on algebra one in middle schools so important? I think that um, going back to that view that I have of elementary learners, middle and high school, um, I have really come to appreciate the variety of pathways students use to get or the students take to get to their find their way in the world of math. I do agree that Algebra 1 is an important math benchmark and we are working hard to support students to meet that goal in middle school, but I also feel like it's important on the other end of that to understand that we will have students who may not necessarily be ready for Algebra 1 in middle school. So how do we support those early high school Algebra 1 students and still um, do so without limiting their advanced learning opportunities because I see a lot of growth. I've seen it in a cohort of students, and I've also seen it individually with learners who, luckily for all of us, we don't have to be the same person that we were in middle school the rest of our lives. So sometimes in middle school, you're not not ready for all the things that you're going to soon be ready for in high school. So um, I've seen those students who weren't quite ready for algebra run in middle school, but then I see them further on in their career accessing um, advanced opportunities such as advanced placement. So I think it's kind of, it's a dual purpose. We have to work to get kids who are ready to algebra one in middle school, but also work hard to help those who take it early in high school to still have opportunity. Cause I don't want it to be a barrier. And I think that's something that I really appreciate about the dashboard is that you can really specifically look at who who needs that extra level of support in middle school and then in high school. Right, and I, I think that's a good point about the um, implications for middle school because I'm I'm very glad that eighth grade David didn't make any decisions for <laughs> adult David. <laughs> and you mentioned barrier reduction a couple of times there. Could you just talk a little bit more about like how do you identify a barrier to advanced coursework and address that? Because um, this is something that we saw a lot in the research. It's the same when I was a, a high school counselor reflecting on that. Like there were certainly barriers in the school to our students being able to take an AP class, for example. What like how are you working to address that in Hanover? I think that um, there are some systemic barriers that you can identify and then determine, is this necessary? So when I think about um, international baccalaureate, for example, and I know that our conversation is focused more on AP, but um, 
we do not have an application process to participate in IB in Hanover, and you can choose to be a diploma program candidate, or you can just choose to take a class that's of interest to you. There is not an application barrier or recommendation needed for that. Um, the same with AP, as long as you meet the prerequisites for that course, we're going to let you give that a shot. Um, we've been working with school principals um, and teachers with the idea of recommending up. I think teachers, generally, we're a cautious group of people. We're, we're not massive risk takers. We want our students to be much, much more um, academically risk takers than we were, but um, I think that when we have kids who are on the line and we think like, well, they might be able to do this, but we know for sure they'll be safe and secure if they take a standard level class. It's empowering teachers to have that conversation to say and recommend up like, I think you should give it a try because you have a lot of things that tell me you might be successful in this. You know, just kind of changing that mindset around advanced coursework. I think that, um, you know, Spending time in middle school, I have come to recognize that children who present as a little unorganized and may not have the best time management, that doesn't mean that they are not an advanced studies student. It just means they're a different kind of learner. So um, some coaching with teachers about kind of that, you know, not a systemic barrier, but kind of a barrier that we just kind of put in place without thinking about as teachers. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate you framing that as a mindset shift because that's uh, it's the same thing from my experience working in schools, but also what the research shows is some of this is like, who is an AP class for, for example, it's not necessarily somebody who is always a the, the highest achieving student. But if somebody wants to go to college, they should have an opportunity to take college level coursework while they're in high school. Um, and Chris, Andrea mentioned so there's other classes besides AP, there's international baccalaureate dual enrollment classes that are in high school, but we focused on AP specifically in this dashboard. Could you share what our rationale was for focusing on AP classes? And then what did the data show in our dashboard about who takes these classes in high school in our region? Yeah, um, I can definitely speak to that. So we we definitely had access to at least some um, information about um, dual enrollment, especially um, within the region. Um, so the the intention and the decision to focus primarily on AP, um, there were a few factors. One was the simplicity of, of both the analysis and the communication of the analysis. Again, keeping in mind that one of the goals, especially for the dashboard, but, but even for the regional report, is um, making sure that the data is accessible to practitioners uh, and is going to have the maximum degree of usability and impact. And so if we're kind of having multiple levels of that analysis where we're we're doing the same thing for AP and we're doing it for dual enrollment, we're doing it for international baccalaureate, we're hitting a place where the level of statistical complexity that would be needed to, to carry off and communicate that analysis would be more complex. Um, so um, for a communication standpoint, I think focusing in on one made sense. Um, and as we were um, kind of drilling down and doing our own literature review on, on national trends, we often found um, there isn't necessarily always state level data on this, but we often found that on a, on a national scale, trends in dual enrollment and international baccalaureate are really comparable and really similar to trends in AP enrollment. Um, so we felt confident that we could focus on where we had the richest data um, based on what we had seen um, in past studies on enrollment in Virginia. Um, who we wanted to follow up on, we felt that AP enrollment not only was where we had the richest data from our data set, um, 
I, I think it, it had a lot of reasons for the argument. Um, it's also the the most standardized of the three. Dual enrollment can be a little different depending on which college you're working with or community college and um, international baccalaureate can look really different in different school divisions, whereas uh, advanced placement is somewhat more standardized between divisions. So it was a, a given the the partial intention of having like division level comparisons and um, the the standardization that AP offered was just really valuable. Right. And that standardization comes from the college board, which is the oversight organization for AP. Um, and it's sort of similar with that rationale, Chris, we have a a previous literature review from this study that does a deep dive into AP classes specifically because it is arguably the nation's most prominent uh, college preparatory program in high school. So it makes sense to focus on it in this sense as well. Um, and if anybody's interested in learning more about dual enrollment, we have a companion dashboard to this that looks at high schools across the state of Virginia in the 2020-2021 school year and uh, participation in not only AP, but also dual enrollment classes and how it varies by the demographic composition of schools. And we have some cool sliders on there that people can access there as well. Um, but Andrea, how does this resonate with your work? So the specific focus on AP, how does that resonate with your experiences in Hanover? I am a big proponent of opening the door to advanced studies wider and for more students. And I think that um, a student's opportunity to access and participate in advanced learning is a real game changer. Um, we know that when students experience advanced coursework like AP classes, um, it makes post-secondary education a more tangible goal. They're sitting in a class that's based on college standards and they're doing it, like it's happening. And so that idea of like, oh, like, okay, this might be hard or challenging or rigorous, but I'm doing it. And it really makes something that might have seemed like a more untangible, untangible, excuse me, goal, a little more realistic. Um, and I spent a lot of my, my world working in AP and working with AP teachers and students. And, um, I think we spend a lot of time focused on the outcome or the assessment piece of AP as the outcome, but really the outcome is that an advanced class changes a student's perception of themselves and the ability they have to move forward. So um, I'm excited that AP is in the dashboard, and I do agree that we see similar trends in AP with our other advanced coursework. So I think that it can be applied in other situations as well, but the dashboard really helps us understand whose voice is missing from the AP classroom. Um, and I like, I think that probably Beverly would agree that we have both spent time trying to figure these things out on our own over time with the longitudinal data system and then pulling the data from College Board and just trying to cross-reference it against, you know, our kids and who's who's in the seats in our school. So I appreciate the accessibility this brings because it takes out some of the tangles and getting kids to where, where we want them to be. Um, we can more quickly identify whose voice is missing. 
And I think that's a big point of Merck is for people to not have to do these things on our own because people are wrestling with the same questions in different divisions like Hanover and Petersburg are two different divisions in our region and the contexts are different, but often wrestling with the same thing. So we're trying to broker these conversations as much as possible. And Beverly, you already started to allude to this earlier. Your, your focus is specifically on gifted education in elementary school, but you see that connection between access to gifted education and then eventual future access to advanced coursework and in middle school and in AP and dual enrollment classes in high school. Could you just talk a little bit more about what you see in that pipeline and why that's important for us to keep in mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I just I just love hearing Andrea work with, you know, the high school and how they are preparing high school based on what they're seeing in the middle schools so that they can progress. That's the progression I would like to see here in Petersburg, that they um, start with, why not give fifth graders algebra one or pre-algebra? Start there, and by the time they get to through middle school, they'll have the knowledge necessary to be successful in the higher math. You know, but right now it's a work in progress. Um, uh, our our gifted kids have the potential, but there's no class that honors them um, as far as taking advanced classes in middle school. So with our new superintendent, this data works perfectly. I'm allowed now to share what I know and what I've seen on this dashboard so that we can make some changes here in Petersburg as far as getting them into the advanced placement uh, intelligence, the confidence, so that they will be successful. We want these kids to be challenged. I love when I see the lights come on and that they're they're grasping the knowledge and they're interpreting the knowledge. And so right now we don't have that here, but it's it's coming, it's coming. And through this work with the dashboard, I'm sure she's going to be impressed and I'm impressed. I'm impressed because now I have evidence that it can work and that we can do something with middle school so that they're successful in all the AP classes and start choosing, start incorporating more AP classes into our division. You know, our, she, uh, Andre was talking about barriers. One of our barriers is getting those highly talented math teachers, the confident teachers that love math and, and want to, you know, spread their knowledge to the kids. So that's a barrier within itself, getting the qualified math teachers that would love to be here in Petersburg to share their knowledge. That's such an important point. And the same thing with AP, like having high qualified AP teachers is, is a, a critical piece of this puzzle as well. Um, and we, with this broader study, we have um, several components to it. And right now we're doing interviews for our multiple case study where we're in an elementary and a middle and a high school. And just as a preview of the findings, we've been conducting those interviews with parents right now. And for parents of children who are in algebra one and higher in middle school or in AP classes, dual enrollment classes in high school, over and over again, when we've been talking about like, how did your child kind of get on this pathway over and over again, they've said, they were identified as gifted in elementary school, or they had an opportunity to participate in just this accelerated math program in elementary school. So the answer is always start earlier. Mm -hmm. Whatever kind of success you're trying to address in advanced coursework and secondary years need to be addressed in the, the level before. So the work that you're doing is so important in Petersburg, uh, Beverly, and I know that it's similar to the work that you're doing in Hanover, Andrea. Um, and so just considering that, that sort of the nature of these dashboards 
they depict trends in data related to advanced coursework participation, um, but they don't yet offer potential solutions for addressing disparities. So the purpose of these is really just to show the data and let people interact with them and lead to their own interpretations. Um, but interpretations of this and potential solutions are going to come from future Merck reports, like our case study, our survey, other things that are coming out related to this, and then reports coming from this data. Um, so for everybody, what do you see as some practical takeaways from this dashboard that could inform your work moving forward? I think that being able to see what's working and dig deeper and understand why do we have um, a more diverse participation in one program over another or um, looking at a level of specificity and digging deeper, you know, is it a school, school, is there something special happening at one school that we can investigate and replicate? Is there something happening in one program that's leading to a positive trend that we can replicate? But also just the ability to have a common conversation around the same set of data. I know that when I gather with colleagues in the region and we discuss what's happening, we're, we're, have been pulling together this data and sometimes we're talking about the same apples and oranges but sometimes we're not so it does excite me to be able to have a conversation you know for example with beverly about what's happening in petersburg with her looking at her dashboard and me looking at mine and we're comparing the same we're looking at the same data set and having a common conversation um about the things that she's doing and the things that i'm doing and how can we you know, learn from one another in that way as well. So I like the kind of cohesion it brings, you know, the conversation. For me, I like the way it is set up so that when I speak to my superintendent and she said, come up with, you know, some ideas that we could use, I can show her the data and say what works, how it's working, and how it's been working throughout, you know, just not uh in Petersburg, but in other areas of surrounding Petersburg, how is it working? And look at their data and, and what it shows in Algebra One and and all the other AP classes, because I think her goal is to get uh, some advanced classes in the middle school. They should be math ready before they leave eighth grade. And so, looking at that data, she can see and I can see. We have evidence now that it works. And in what area do we need improvement? You know, where we need to focus. So I love it. Gosh, I mean, I think for me, um, hearing both of you guys talk about the way that you're already using it, and it's really humbling just because that was that was the intention, right? To to hear that you guys are able to pull up the, your separate dashboards and have that conversation together. Um, that's that's really powerful. And I, I think my big takeaway on this is, you know, I've, I've always been a big believer in the, the visualization of data. Um, and I think that oftentimes visualizing data is a great equalizer in, in having conversations with folks who have different skill sets and different backgrounds and different um, ways of conceptualizing these concepts, but they all have that same goal, which we've talked about like a, a, a couple of different times during this podcast, which is increasing access for our students to this coursework and to be able to do that um, with that common tool set. Um, I think, um, you know, we we are hoping to remove barriers for our students, but I think this is a really great case for removing barriers for ourselves as well. Um, and the more that we can do that, I think the more we'll be able to remove student barriers for students as well. 
Right. And throughout our study, we've been trying to understand advanced coursework from the lens of access and outcomes. And what we've been finding over and over again is you can't get an idea about access without looking at outcomes. And so this dashboard gives us an idea about outcomes so that we can drill in further and then be able to answer some questions about equitable access. And over and over again, the research shows that one of the key ways to address this, to get everybody on the same page and speaking the same language, like Andrea was saying, is to share data that's disaggregated by demographic groups. And that's what this dashboard is intended to do. So certainly we hope that this is going to be a resource for anybody who is listening to this. And um, Andrea and Beverly, it's just so great to hear your account of how you're already using this in your division. But I also just want to thank you for being on this team because I learned so, so much from you being on this team. And I'm so impressed by the work that you're doing in our division and um, in the Merck region. And, and Chris, for your work on this, these, these dashboards, it's, um, it's great to have this conversation, but I'm just really grateful to this team for all the, all the effort that you put into this, um, as well as everybody else that's on this very large study team. Um, and we're going to need to leave that there for now. But if you want to learn more about this dashboard and its corresponding study, you can visit the Merck website at merck.soe.bcu.edu slash projects. We will be sharing lots of upcoming reports, dashboards, and other resources from this study. So be sure to sign up for our email listserv on our homepage to stay up to date on this research. We have also linked the dashboard in the description of this episode on SoundCloud for quick access. You can also subscribe and listen to other episodes of Abstract wherever you get your podcasts, including SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Our thanks as always to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck and to all of our partner school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, and Richmond Public Schools. Thanks to Beverly Flood Flanagan, Andrea Herndon, and Chris Parthamos for sharing your thoughts about this dashboard and for your continued work on this study. And finally, thanks to you for joining our conversation today. We hope that you uh, will share this episode with anybody who you think might find the information important or relevant. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.